Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to Foes and Fables. I just want to give you the heads up so that no one gets mad at me and yells at me, because I hate it when people do that, that today's episode and interview with Rick Perry was recorded a good while before the reveal of the Matt Mercer campaign on Dimension 20 uh, happened. So I am not, <laughs> I do not get any answers in regards to that that is currently public knowledge in this interview. Sorry. Please don't be mad at me. It just gives us a good reason to have Rick back on the show later to talk about Matt's appearance. But it is still a wonderful interview. Great conversation I got to have with Rick, so we hope you enjoy it. If you like this, we also have other episodes on our interview series that you might enjoy, as well as an actual play series if you're checking this out for the first time. But anyways, that's all the talking I'm going to do. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Friends and Fables, an interview series on our podcast where we chat with friends new and old about TTRPG and everything in between. My name is Tanner Azanero. I am your host, and I am so excited to be joined today by the man behind the magic of one of the most beloved actual play shows available. He is the production designer and creative producer behind Dimension 20, and without his work, the iconic dome that houses the intrepid heroes would not be nearly as iconic, nor would the gorgeous battle maps and minis that bring the stories of Dimension 20 to life. Mr. Rick Perry. Hello, friend. Howdy. Wow, that was quite the uh, intro. <laughs> Thank you. We're so excited <laughs> to have you on. It's a it's a real honor. Um, we are the kind of the origins of our show are uh, rooted in um, my co-host Zach's uh he was the first one to get into D and D and it was because he was watching uh dimension 20. So the, the origins of this whole conversation and me sitting here with you right now are because of the, the work that you guys have done. Um, I'd love to hear it. Love the, uh, love to be the, uh, the gateway drug. Uh, yes. if it were, as it were, <laughs> <laughs> we love, we love what you're selling. We are. In- <laughs> no, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having uh, me on. Yeah. Thanks for being on. Um, so just kind of as like a, as a opening to the conversation, um, I know that, uh, you first really fell in love with D and D I believe in your, in your college years. Um, uh, and for, uh, a, 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 about a decade or so you worked in film and television. And then it was around that time when you, uh, uh, got started with, um, uh, college humor and dimension 20 and everything like that. Um, was that, kind of newfound passion in, in D and D something that, uh, you ever thought would be like a recurring, uh, point of work or inspiration, uh, that you would ever get into later. I know it's kind of a, it's kind of a niche, uh, uh, subject, uh, to, to find yourself in the line of work specifically with TTRPG. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I never really thought it would necessarily be something that I would, uh, work in, especially like as my main gig, you know, which, which it has been now for over five and a half years. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I was always kind of inspired by D and D and, and, uh, even between the time on in college when I played my first game and, and, um, when I started working on dimension 20, I was still reading, you know, reading all the manuals and stuff. I didn't really have people, um, 
for most of that time, I didn't really have people around me that, that I could, uh, convince to play D and D with me. But, um, uh, but I did enjoy reading the books and, you know, I remember working, um, on TV shows and movies and stuff in LA and, um, you know, in my kind of personal thirst for, uh, uh, TTRPG games and stuff. I, you know, Googling around, I, I found the, uh, the penny arcade, uh, actual plays. And I would listen to those. They, I think that at that time they were just VOD. So you're like, you know, basically have like a, a YouTube, uh, video playing in my pocket, you know, listening to it with headphones while I was yeah. working on these movie sets and stuff. And, and, uh, and then I listened to a lot of critical role, you know, um, long before D20 and, um, so, so it was always kind of like a thing that I was finding personal inspiration from in the sense that like, I just like that stuff. I love that type of storytelling. And, um, and, uh, yeah, even in the past, I think different times I, um, I, I, you know, I, I wrote some, um, fantasy screenplays when I was, uh, in grad school at UCLA and, um, you know, I, I was trying to work out the idea of like, how do you, of like trying to maybe use some sort of TTRPG, um, mechanical system to like, uh, make interesting th things happen in like a fantasy screenplay and stuff like that. So, so it's definitely this, this little, little, uh, germ that's been in my brain for a long time and thinking of different ways to, to, uh, be inspired by it or whatever. That's awesome that it was just kind of a mechanism, uh, uh, within you, um, you kind of carried forward. So uh, when, um, when you first kind of got associated with college humor and everything, um, and eventually were, were brought on to, uh, uh, I don't believe it was, I, I, I believe it wasn't even called dimension 20 when they first brought you guys on. Um, uh, was that, was it kind of a moment where you were like, uh, it, almost like, in, in the like artist's pursuit of work and creativity and that sort of thing, was it almost something that just kind of clicked real easy or was it kind of a, a new thing to figure out with this team uh, where dimension 20 was going from the like origins of it? Um, I think it was both, it, you know, uh, it was immediately like, Whoa, this is, this is a very unique opportunity. Uh, I had right before that I had gotten to um, design and build this set for a music video for Amy Vorpal. Um, it's called the, the DMS lament. So it's like this, mm -hmm. you know, really cute, funny song about a dungeon master's lament. And, uh, and that was a really fun gig, you know? And, uh, and then it was maybe, I don't know, six months, a year later that, that this sort of dimension 20 thing came along and you're right. It was, it was just called fantasy high at that point. Cause I, mm -hmm. I don't think they were necessarily thinking of it as an anthology show at the very first, um, inception of it. But, um, so, so, uh, you know, it was great because I had, I had just actually started playing, um, D and D again, uh, fifth edition and really, had really dived in with, with both feet, jumped in with both feet and, um, uh, you know, had convinced my friends to play with me. And so I was really well armed as far as like understanding the, the system and, and, um, and having a good time in it on my own. Um. And I had been listening to those actual play shows, you know, so I kind of knew a bit about, um, the genre. Um, and, uh, but we were doing something different and it was at this sketch comedy internet, you know, digital media company. Um, so with like people, they had us, some people were staff and some people were writers. And so it was, 
it was a very interesting um, thing to kind of navigate. Uh, it was a super collaborative environment. Actually, it's probably it's part of why I'm still doing it is that, uh, you know, in a traditional uh, as a production designer, um, which is how I came onto the show initially, you know, generally you have like a script that you can break down into scenes and props and set dressing. And it's got a very kind of formal way that you can, um, uh, figure out your work. But with this show, we just, they didn't know what it was, you know, at the beginning, like there was no, wasn't necessarily that there were going to be any miniatures. They didn't even really know about miniatures until we started talking about it. And, um, you know, it's, it was very, uh, um, kind of radioactive organic, uh, environment where, um, you know, we were, they were, they were investing a lot of money into new shows at that time dropout was. So <clears throat> there was a lot of opportunities to be like, what if we did this? It would cost a little bit more, but you know, this is what it would look like. And they were like, yes, we love it. Let's do it. You know, um, which doesn't always happen. So. Yeah. It, that's so cool to have, um, it really feels like a kind of a weird universe moment of coalescing into this like perfect situation where you were just getting back into it, um, in a, in, in your own personal way, which I'm sure just made you just kind of the easy pick, uh, you know, for someone to collaborate on with it, um, in terms of, you know, production designer and creative director and everything, uh, since having that under it, it's such a, it, it all is storytelling, but the mechanics of it are a really important aspect to know. And it's so interesting that you just kind of found yourself in this perfect spot to jump off, uh, into the abyss with, uh, uh, such a great team. And obviously, obviously it's, it's gone swimmingly. Um, uh, that's, that's so cool that it just kind of was really organic and really from nothing. Um, and, uh, speaking of the collaborative process, um, from kind of maybe, uh, conception to, uh, getting into your workshop and putting things together, what does the process look like between you and Brennan or whoever is DMing, um, kind of as you design, uh, battle maps and other aspects of whichever season you're working on? Uh, yeah, well, it varies, you know, uh, depending on the GM a lot. And, um, also on the, the type of show, if it's going to be a show that has minis or maybe is more about props and set decoration and stuff. Um, uh, and also varies with the length of, uh, of the show, you know, but, um, whether it's like a three episode, uh, short thing or 20 episode full season. Um, uh, but generally, um, very early on, um, uh, call Schumer will reach out, you know, with, with potential dates and, and, uh, like scope of a, of a show. And they probably already have, they know who the GM is going to be. And maybe they'll have a couple of different pitches for a season. And they're curious, like what, um, uh, what the, um, impact will be on miniatures or, you know, for that genre or scope of a season. Um, and just, just thoughts about that season, whatever. And then it kind of it moves forward. And then, um, we have a lot of meetings with the GM and then usually there's, there's other, uh, college humor folks in there too. Like in the past, it's been, um, Orion, 
uh, Ryan Black or um, now uh, with Carlos. Um, but we just basically have these series of creative meetings that are uh, a little bit like a writer's room kind of thing. Like um, we take you know lots of notes and I have, we used to actually do it in a um, office with a big whiteboard, you know, where we would kind of grid out uh, like, okay, we know there's eight battles. So here's eight boxes and you know, who are the bad guys and what are the concepts? And so we would sort of just do it out that way. Um, but now we do it um, mostly over zoom. And, um, so we do it in like a big spreadsheet, um, in Google sheets. And, um, so there's that phase, you know, and usually all GMs come with like a few really strong battle concept ideas that maybe have maybe they were the, the way they even came up with the idea for the season or, or whatever, but like they come with a few really strong ideas. They're like, okay, that's a battle and that's a battle. But then we have all these other things we have to fill in, you know? And uh, yeah, so we just, we, we approach it from all different ways um, thinking about concepts or, you know, like, um, like uh, mechanical concepts in a battle, like, we want something that has like an environmental factor that changes over time, or we want a really big monster or a lot of little monsters or a tower defense or whatever, you know, um, kind of, um, anything like that can be a, a beginning point for a battle concept, <clears throat> excuse me, or like, um, we, you know, we pull from genre a lot. A lot of times our seasons are mashups of one or more genres. So, looking at like what are really tropey things from those genres that would be fun that maybe we haven't seen in a dnd battle before that would be fun to uh figure out how to make you know whatever set piece from a big movie into into a, a mechanically sound like dnd battle uh and can we mash it up with something else to make it funny or whatever you know so um yeah so that's kind of the creative the process and after that i'll go and like you know just start developing them further uh with visual stuff and researching, um, you know, reference, like what should the paint look like on this? And, you know, um, what, uh, what minis are available, um, th that could work for us or that we could kit bash together and, and sort of try to figure out how to, how to get it done. You know? Yeah. That was, that was going to be one of my next questions was at, about one of the most interesting parts to me about the, the designs of, uh, dimension twenties maps and everything is that they're so unique and there's been so many battles that are so memorable, exclude like looks and visuals and, and all that aside are so memorable just because of the mechanics of them. Um, and I was going to ask you, it's, it's funny that you say you'll, you, you'll bring a lot of movie, uh, uh moments to life and things like that. I was going to ask where your inspiration came from for, um, mechanics and, and part of your job also means you have to be a game designer in a lot of sense. Um, uh, in particular, one of my favorites is, uh, from unsleeping city is the sewer fight, mm -hmm. uh, with the raising water level. I, that was so <laughs> insane. Uh, just to, to think about, uh, to, or, and to really see the visual of, no, you are two layers down and you need to get back up to the surface. Uh, it's, it's so, it, 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 does that change? Um, does do ideas like that or mechanical obstacles and things or, or maybe it depends fight to fight, but does that uh, usually come from you and your team a lot? Or is it kind of um, like you said, some of the DMS will be like, I have this idea for this combat. How do we bring this to life? Yeah. Uh, it, it comes from all those directions. Um, and it's all, and even wherever it starts, you know, like it, 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 it takes 
all hands to kind of figure it out. You know, um, I think uh, on that, the rising sewer was definitely a brilliant idea. Um, you know, and so uh, it's a great idea. Uh, but then like, how do we gamify it? Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like you said, it's where kind of the game design brain comes in. It's like, okay, well, typically a battle on fantasy high is about four. I mean, on um, dimension 20 is about um, uh, four rounds long, give or take, you know? So, so then it's like, okay, maybe we have four, four levels of water, you know, uh, and they're coming every round on the first, you know, uh, initiative order. Um, and, uh, if we wanted to, if we want the water to be able to kind of keep stacking up, like in these layers, um, then the set has to be designed to have seats that are kind of staggered out for each like little cleats for the edges to sit on, you know, so it's stuff, stuff like that. It's just kind of like, taking an idea and then figuring out how to make it in real life. Uh, and it has to work well, you know, because, um, they're not, we don't want the cast trying to figure out how to use the, the board in the middle of the game. They should just be free to do, do what they're doing and have fun. And, um, uh, you know, it should just work. Um, and also that, you know, the board, um, it needs to kind of show the cast how to use it. it. It's sort of like you're, you're, you're creating this new game and yes, there's the DM is there to explain things, but it should also just visually, you know, you should be able to glean like, Oh, that's what's happening each time this happens or, you know, that thing is over there and we're over here. And, you know, these little things mean something that, that, um, that can be picked up, you know, and not be confusing. Yeah. One thing I love is how, versatile all of your sets feel like they they feel so um like you said intuitive and they really just pull down any obstacles of the players and the dm losing themselves in the game and you're it 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 is crazy to me to think about in in that perspective where you and your team are putting together these experiences not even just maps or anything but just this this experience of the story from so many different angles of usability of the set pieces how easy it is for uh you know brennan to reach over and pull something away that needs to get moved away um the all the little easter eggs and things that just kind of bring stuff to life um i've always thought that that was one of the best uh aspects of of you and your team's designs is just how it it so feels like something that i want to like run to a store like a like a dnd store and like pick up like the rick perry sewer fight design for <laughs> my players and stuff like that it, it just it, it's it's just, it's it's so funny to just think about so many different aspects of that and i'm and i'm also really glad that um I feel like even the casual uh, Dimension 20 viewer has heard your name on many occasion um, just because you and your team are so vital to bringing the whole experience to life. And it would not be even remotely the same show without the work that you guys do Um, has uh, has something like uh, now that I think about it has something like. I don't know. I know there's companies like Dwarven Forge and 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 companies like that who do uh, great mini sets. Have you ever thought about like creating like the Rick Perry uh, uh, battle set uh, line for people? Is that something that's ever crossed your mind? 
Um, well, first, let me say like, that. Thank you. Like that is a tremendous a compliment. And I, you know, honestly, I feel really seen, you know, like, uh, <laughs> we, we, we put a lot into them and we think about that stuff. So that means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I've thought about it just, you know, if, as a fantasy, uh, because, you know, I, I know, uh, I know enough to know that, um, you know, having a business where you're, you're making things and selling and whatever is its own big, uh, endeavor. And my job takes up tons of my time. And I, I don't really, uh, I don't really want to switch it over to that, but, um, uh, you know, as like a personal lift, but, um, the idea of that is really appealing and, uh, you know, it would be really fun. I, I think of myself as a, as a game designer to some degree, you know, I mean, I'm not out here writing, uh, books or anything, but, um, uh, you know, I really enjoy that stuff. I really enjoy figuring that stuff out and creating these little puzzles for, for other people to figure out, you know, and, uh, I'm, I'm just glad that uh, people like it and we get to keep doing it. Yeah. I think, I think um, if it ever gets to that point, I'll be first in line for, you know, the Rick Perry approved Rick Perry stamped uh, uh, battle designs and game mechanics and things of that nature. I feel like that would be such a cool uh, already. You inspire so many, you know, uh, DMS and, and game designers out there just through the show. Um, I think that would be awesome. Uh one, uh, another thing that I personally love, I think it's cause I'm, I'm the DM over at our show. Um, uh, the main, the mainstay DM at least. Um, uh, and I think one of my personal favorite things about dimension 20 is the, uh, different dungeon master screen for every, uh, season. Uh, it is easily like the number one thing I'm, I can't wait to see. Um, <laughs> Is, I, I assume that also falls under you and your team's uh, jurisdiction as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, personally, the uh, crown of candy DM screen, man, that, that like it, it's cause it's feels like the first centerpiece of really focusing the tone of the world. Um, mm. Especially when the GM is the one kind of commanding the attention and tone of that that always just feels like the centerpiece of the, the, it, I mean, it, it is, it feels like weirdly the fireplace in the living room of this world. If that makes sense, hmm. like fireplace yeah. in the, in the living room where all these people are coming in and, and participating in the story in the world and everything. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I even have a question in here. That's just one of my favorite aspects. <laughs> That's just one of my favorite aspects is, is, is the DM screen. Uh, are, are, are there any particular favorites of yours that you've gotten to do or um, ones that were particularly challenging or memorable? Yeah. You? Well, I, I love the DM screens, you know, they're, you know, the most kind of, um, like sculptural. I come from like fine arts background, you know, back before working in film and, um, so it's definitely kind of a lens that I look through stuff at and, uh, they feel like the most like sculptural and the most like kind of as a standalone kind of sculpture that, um, generally they're more to be seen than interacted with. So it's a little bit different than the battle maps. And, um, there's a lot about with all of our sets, you know, we are concerned about like, you know, you can't get too high. You start to get into cast, uh, shots and things like that. And you also have to think about visibility. And so the DM screen is, has the same, you know, um, logistical concerns about the shape of it and what it's blocking. And it, if Brennan can, can reach over it without knocking something off. Um, 
So those are some fun little design challenges that kind of keep that we have to work around. But, um, uh, yeah, um, um, probably my favorite one to build was also crown of candy. Uh, you know, it was just really fun to cast all that fruit. And it, it's also, it's like, um, that one in particular, the world is so kind of, um, a little bit mind bending in the sense that like everything's food. Um, it's really easy to, um, forget that when you're playing and, or trying to, trying to, uh, exist, uh, in that world and like, oh yeah, but they're, you know, and that was stuff when we were developing that season, it was like asking and brain, like, what do they eat? Can they eat each other? You know, like what's the wor- rules of this world? You know, what, like, so like this house, it's like made out of wood, but the wood is actually cherry wood that, that came from some giant cherry that they cut out or, or, you know, it's like logicking all this stuff out, especially when you have to paint it each thing and be like, well, what is the handle of that dagger made of? Um, but, uh, so getting to actually, uh, represent a landscape, uh, that way was really fun to, to, uh, just wholesale imagine it and then put it together. I got to do a lot of the work on that. Um, especially the mountains and all that stuff. Uh, but, um, those, d- d- those DM screens, I sort of think of them as, um, a little bit as, uh, like movie posters or something, you know, like they're like, they should have like the vibe and, and a lot of the visual elements and signal to you in a way, what this is all going to be about. Um, but without like giving anything away, hopefully, you know, so, um, uh, so I try to, you know, being, um, I, we start with ideas for the DM screen at the like top of the season, you know, when we're at top of the uh, development process, but I try to kind of hold off, like locking in the design until after the battles are locked in and we have a strong sense of what the arc is so that I can try to get some pieces of all those things sort of represented in there. Not, not in a way that will give anything away to the cast or the audience, but so that it feels like it's there or maybe it's like hidden just a little bit. And then at the end you're like, Oh yeah, of course it all makes sense or whatever, you know? So that it's like really servicing the whole season because it's the, it's the element of the set that's doesn't change, you know? So, yeah. Is there, um, I know that you do so many Easter eggs and things throughout all different elements of the show. Are there any particular favorites of yours in that regard that you've gotten to do over the years? Hmm. I'm trying to think of, I don't know. I mean, the, they're the, the most favorite ones of mine are really infantile, you know, like there's just a lot of like penises in the, uh, <laughs> in fantasy high, uh, you know, and that's, it's always funny. I mean, you know, that's part of the, it's part of the joy of working on a, um, like adult humor, uh, show is that you can, you know, make really dumb, uh, silly stuff in there. So there's, a uh, in, um, in fantasy high in the, um, uh, food court, uh, battle there were these planters, this battle, t- it's not a food court. It's a, a, a arcade. It takes place in a mall in an arcade. And there are these uh, planters with palm trees and, um, they kind of looked like dicks, you know? So we just <laughs> went with that and like, you know, it was like lean into it. Uh, you know, also that season, you know, it's, it's high schoolers. So if they're ever going to have like potty humor type of yep. stuff, it feels like appropriate. So hundred percent. Um, yeah, that's so funny. Um, oh, I, I had a question that I lost it. 
Let's see. Give me two seconds. Let's see if my brain can rack back the question. Nope, it's gone. Uh, it's <laughs> out there in the void. Um, uh, no, that's that's so funny. Um, yeah, I I I also I I had a I did an interview with um, Katie. Um, uh, oh yeah. Uh, before this, uh, and one of the things that uh, you bring that up reminded me of that we talked about was um, one of the. It was either Shriek Week, Shriek Week, or Coffin Run. I can't remember which. Um, but one of the and one of the players had a had a familiar who had like six buttholes or something. Uh, and we talked about the process that you guys went through. Where I think she said you sent a text where you were like, "How many buttholes can we get?" Like right now, stand on this. Thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's a miniature, so that's a, that's a logical question. You know, how many buttholes can you fit on a teeny uh, little miniature? Uh, that was the first question. Like, can we get to the quotient that we need? Um, yeah, you know, that's we you know we try we have to uh figure out all these maps and miniature stuff ahead of time uh just because it takes so long to make you know and um to, to give it that production value we, we got to kind of plan ahead and but it's an improvised show and you know as you know ttrpgs are about making stuff up so we try to thread the needle with with all this stuff to not not make it be on rails and um and embrace, uh, you know, the decisions that character, the players are making at the table. Um, and, uh, sometimes, you know, we, it's all, you know, there's always the NPC that they befriend or whatever, like the random mini you make that suddenly becomes like some huge character and, um, uh, you know, things get invented or, or just things go away that is very surprising. And so it puts us, uh, in a kind of reaction state where we're like, do we have the capability to represent that or make that change? And one of them was that there was a demon that someone had as their familiar. And, uh, it was described by a cast member, uh, on, on set as having like six or five buttholes or something. And then, uh, uh, I knew that that mini was actively being painted. And so I could just reach out to the, the painter to Shane, our lead minis painter and, and probably get him to, and he, I knew that he would be down to, uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, I made the call, you know, <laughs> and what a call, what a call to be made. Um, that's so funny. Um, yeah, it, it's, 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 and I talked about this with Katie as well. It, it's so crazy to think about, an entire creative team that's in that, uh, uh, ready to go improv sense to help kind of bring it. It's, it's as a dungeon master, it's crazy to me to think about any concept of, of other people there to kind of support, you know, rewarding, you know, player intrigue and player exploration in, in a game. And it's so cool to think about a village of, of people who really know what they're doing and really, you know, jump when they need to jump to, to, uh, bring stuff together. Um, was there ever like a memorable thing where, <clears throat> what was, or maybe this is a better way to phrase it. What was one of the more difficult moments that you've had on the show kind of reacting to something being improv and going, can we make this work? Um, and kind of seeing it to fruition. Um, what was, um, mm, well, <clears throat> you know, my, uh, my, my, the things that are always in the front of my mind and questions like this are usually about the most recent things. And, um, I'm several seasons ahead of, 
of the the regular world as far as like uh stuff i can't talk about uh yeah. so there's been some things like that in recent seasons but um uh you know um in our first season uh fantasy high um uh the players are in this car chase uh sequence uh battle where they're being chased by tiefling like greasers on motorcycles led by uh johnny spells mm -hmm. and um uh, the battle goes over uh this series of uh roads and uh at the end um they uh they defeat johnny uh spells and um lou uh decides that he wants his bike so he had this bike that we built that had a big skull in the front it was like this you know demon bike um which really was just a decoration uh you know i mean uh, brennan uh improvised that it, that's that bike had this whole spirit and all these things just as you do like he could see that the lens the magnifying glass of the players was going over to that bike and he was like you know juiced it up somehow and uh and so gave the the bike this voice and the idea that the bike was possessed by this demon spirit and um and uh and then lou attempted to you know uh master this this uh demon bike uh and the dice you know were with him uh and so you know brennan was like yes you have the bike you ride away on the bike you know so so there was a it was a thing that fully came up in that way and um and uh and then afterwards you know i'm sitting in video village with headphones like watching the show as it's being taped and thinking like oh no oh no you know like now we need to um because all we have at that point is a fabian miniature and a johnny spells bonus bike miniature uh and we need to keep all those miniatures as they are because we're going to shoot close-ups of them uh at the end right so that means now we need a fabian on a on the bike and the bike by itself that's two more miniatures that we just need to uh, these, those were all from Mirror Forge uh, with some kit bashing and stuff. So, yeah, so we just had to print them out right away. We have a guy in LA, uh, Adam Levine, that we work with uh, to 3D print stuff. And uh, he turned them around really fast. And, you know, we did the kit bashing and got them in, uh, you know, before they before they came up again. Um, and, the, you know, the good thing about Brennan, too, is he can kind of help us a little bit. And he's like, ah, Brennan, we're not going to have those for the, this battle or this episode are we going to get into combat or what's going to be like uh, we can you know he'll figure out a way to to uh, help us as we're helping him you know mm -hmm. so it's part of the collaborative part of that but one thing that you touched on that i'm actually very interested in um uh i i know you said there's some things you can't talk about and i'm not going to ask you questions that i know you're not going to answer um but if i do obviously tell me yeah uh, uh tell me um, sure. But kind of first thing, how ahead are, are, is the dimension 20 like team in general in terms of like your releases? Like, are you guys like a couple years ahead of not years? Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, our show, one of the things that our show does is a fair amount of post-production, right? Like we, we do editing, not really for content, more for like, we, we cut out like people counting dice and just things to kind of keep the pace a little bit snappier. And, um, they, you know, the, the editors and the post team puts in all kinds of music and sound effects and graphics, and they shoot close-ups of the miniatures and cut those in. So they do a ton of post-production work, which takes time. So generally like when we shoot something, it's like four to six months before it, it uh, is released. Um, uh and then as far as like how far we get ahead you know not quite a year ahead but um but we can sometimes get pretty far ahead it just sort of depends on 
you know, it, cause the show is sort of always going, always airing. And then, you know, we'll have like hiatuses and things, and then suddenly we'll generate a bunch more and kind of, it's a little bit of like leapfrog. Thing, yeah. You know? Yeah. Kind of sounds similar to like a, a typical, um, a television series. Um, yeah. uh, uh, the other thing that I just think is interesting, knowing that you uh, uh, were listening to Critical Role and everything beforehand, um, again, you do not have to answer this. Um, are you working with Matt Mercer on the upcoming uh, series uh, that I that he's DMing? I know they've announced that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked on that uh, season. Um, we, we That was back in, I think, November and December that we were working on that. So it's oh, wow. long in the can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, how, what is the recording like process? Like for, for the production of the show, how, how long does that usually go for? It depends um, on the season length, of course. Yeah. So generally, um, you know, it's a tricky thing because, um, you know, if it was a conventional type of show, you would just be like, okay, we have this many episodes, which we generally shoot two episodes a day, uh, or we can shoot up to two episodes a day. So then you would just schedule, you know, those shoot days all in a row and weeks that are five days long, you know, and get it done over a course of a week or a couple of weeks. But, you know, uh, as you probably know, being a, a actual play DM is like, you know, if you're thinking of shooting five days in a row, that's 10 episodes, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like, uh, that's pretty tough on a GM to, to have 10, be yeah. ready to GM 10 episodes in a row, you know? Yeah. So, um, so then it means that you kind of need to space them out a little bit, but then also you're dealing with professional actors and writers and comedians and whatever, and they have busy schedules. And so it's tricky to, um, to just be like, well, we just want you for this one day because usually jobs, gigs, you know, in Hollywood or whatever, they're, they're discrete units. They're not really spread out like that. Right. So, um, we end up shooting on a lot of weekends actually just for everybody's, um, just so we can get it done. Um, and, uh, so usually, you know, on a given day, we'll start about nine and, cast will go through makeup and sound and everybody's kind of they're turning on the lights and cameras and formatting cards and getting all everything all spun up and then by like 11 or so everybody's in the dome and um we'll shoot for like somewhere between two and three hours usually with a with a bio break in the middle mm -hmm. and um and then uh, they'll break again real fast, and then they'll do uh, an adventuring party, which is like our talkback show, you know. So they'll yeah. just stay there in the same wardrobe and do the do the talkback, and then we'll go to lunch. Um, and then we come back from lunch and basically repeat that same thing again for the second part of the day. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That's very interesting. Yeah, we a hundred percent like we've done a couple episode series where. I think the most episodes we've recorded in one day was like four or five. And I was Ooh. like, we cannot do that again. <laughs> I, I can't do that again just because there were so many things that I would have loved to been able to prep and go for in the improv. Because of course I was like, I have all these things laid out and they went, they, they fucked it up from the first episode. They were like, we are, we are going way off the beaten path in the first episode. And I was like, okay, I don't have to time to prepare the off beaten path stuff. So I, I, it turned out. Okay. Obviously it's always worse in your head than when you get into, yeah. you know, post and you're putting it all together and everything. Um, but a hundred percent, I was like, we can never do that again. We are doing like two episodes <laughs> a night. That's what we're going to do. Um, yeah, I totally, I think, that. you know, it's like you get some, you know, hopefully, uh, you experience this is like over time you get some kind of buy-in from your, like you and your, you and your cast, um, 
kind of know like what the scope of the game is that you're playing. Right. And like what the kind of like unwritten boundaries are and stuff like that. Like, I think, you know, there, there is a bit of like the cast all knows that we prepare battles ahead of time and they know that there's going to be a battle. It's like, there's, there's conceits that are built in. And so I think they try not to, uh, take every like hard left, you know, and they also, they have a sense for story, you know, yeah. and they're all trying to service the arc and sort of like, but, uh, yeah, sometimes we end up in weird places. And especially uh, with, surprisingly, um, specifically the intrepid heroes group and your, and your main group is all, I would imagine pretty close, uh, you know, family at this point. Um, yeah. even just, uh, personally. So that, that's something yeah. that's been, uh, extremely valuable for us and our show is we're all best friends and we wouldn't be able to do it and it wouldn't be as genuine if we didn't come into it with that sort of energy, um, yep. uh, in the first place. And that I'm sure that also helps them just get used to, you know, Brennan's DMing and, and the, 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 the Brennan flavored breadcrumbs that he leaves, um, in the work that you guys do to help keep it, you know, concise and everything. Cause we also do, um, we also do, uh, technically compared to other actual plays, shorter campaigns and mm -hmm. anthology series. Oh, cool. Um, so, uh, I also am trying to be like, okay, I know the end goal and I know that we're going to do this in so supposedly this many episodes. So let's see if we can, you know, uh, kind of work our way through that. Um, and it a hundred percent helps that, that table dynamic and trust of knowing like, okay, we're going to follow in, in these, this trail of breadcrumbs. And then in these moments, we know it's okay to diverge yeah. off and that that is going to be, uh, uh, kind of rewarded in that regard too, for exploration of the world and all that, um, kind of jumping back, um, to, uh, that upcoming season was, what was it like working with Matt? after having kind of listened to critical role before even any of the, like, was that kind of a full circle moment for you or? Yeah. Well, it was a dream. I mean, you know, Matt actually was on an early season of ours, um, yes, called escape yeah. from the blood keep, uh, mm -hmm. and that just getting to, uh, to great, uh, battles for him. And also Amy is a good friend and you know, that, that table was, that table was pretty stacked. That, yeah. But, that was um, awesome. That, that, that <laughs> it's a good season, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, that was a joy. And then, uh, yeah. And this was like a, a dream. Um, you know, uh, I can't really talk about it. It's all kind of hush hush right now, but, um, uh, it really was a dream come true. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that Matt was a really nice person from, from, uh, talking with him, uh, previously and stuff. Um, and I, you know, I, we have a lot of friends in common and, and, um, you know, I, people always say that he's like just such a, incredible human being but it, it really is true and, and uh really good writer um you know uh it, it was awesome working with him it's it's kind of funny is uh the thing that was surprising to me is uh whenever he would turn on voices you know like drop into like a character voice or whatever or like I got a little starstruck you know it's like oh yeah. you know it's yeah. it's impressive it's really an impressive skill to be around somebody who is can like uh just generate characters like that you know uh so rapidly so but uh that no, was really fun that's awesome so um separate from everything we've kind of talked about you designed the table for dimension 20 um and also the dome as well for you, uh, I'm not sure how often you get to play still or, or DM or in your own personal time, but what would like the dream Rick Perry 
gaming table consist of? Like, does it have hmm. all the bells and whistles or is it have a certain design to it? Or is it, you know, plain Jane, a table's a table and I want it to, to feel good. Obviously from a design perspective, there's things to think of, but what's like the Rick Perry, like dream table. Um, well, I mean, I don't get to play as much as I would like to, I, you know, I'm busy and have two small kids and et cetera. But, um, and usually when we play, I usually just run it here on one of my, uh, in the shop on one of my big work tables, you know, um, which is great cause there's a lot of space. Um, but, uh, I don't know one of my principles for, for designing these battles and, and designing the table, especially is sort of just bringing my own experience in like you know, trying to think of what I would want as a DM, uh, or, or how I would want things to be, you know, and, um, you know, leaning on my own sensibility for what I think works well or whatever. So, so the table that they have is, you know, that's kind of where it comes from the original drawing that, um, Brennan brought in uh, at the very beginning was kind of like a very, like, um, a steep, triangle you know and uh had like usb ports and cup holders and all this sort of stuff it kind of like the uh it reminds me of the um of the uh simpsons like homer's car that he designs that has like the bubble mm -hmm. top and the fins and all this mm -hmm. stuff you know it's like okay that stuff is all useful and could be all useful but like do you really need it and does it need to be part of the design and so, so kind of tried to go back to like just thinking about ergonomics and you know the dimension 20 table a huge factor is um, uh, lining up the cast for the camera angles, right? Yeah. So um, having their three shot, you know, be be pretty straight, and having a having a um, a shooting alley so that the the there's actually space enough between the GM and the players that the camera has a clear line of sight of the of the three actors. So um, so that kind of uh, necessitates certain shape and um uh so i think if i was going to do my own i think it would be something similar to the dimension 20 table but i wouldn't worry about the camera angle so i'd yep. be able to get the people a little bit closer and probably me more of a full full circle i like the idea of everybody being able to have access to the board you know like that arm reach distance mm -hmm. was definitely a thing in the design is like having enough room for your dice and your paper and you know, can you reach to the middle of the board? Uh, can you see everything? You know, so those are all yep. thoughts. Yeah. It's like a, it, it's a pretty large table. Like it's the, it is deceptively large that table. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I would imagine just from camera angles and only it is, yeah. three people. We've been through, yeah. we've been through a couple iterations of it now. And, um, the first one though, was like kind of the ch cheapest to make. We did it kind of in a way that was less concerned about portability and stuff. Uh, so it had this massive welded powder coated base that weighed 300 pounds, this metal base, you know, and the, t and the table itself was like two gigantic pieces that were like seven, one of them was seven feet wide. And, you know, we, we built this set initially in a, inside of an office building on, um, sunset Boulevard, uh, you know, and, uh, that um the dome had to be the top had to be cut off so that it could fit up to like the drop ceiling of that office space and then um uh called schumer actually moved floors a couple of times over the first like four or five seasons which meant that we had to like take oh, the dome God. apart take it into the stairwell and then you know including that giant table with like four people like getting it around the stairs you know 
It was oh, it was a journey. It was that an sounds like a nightmare. Oh <laughs> yeah. man. Uh, so the new one actually, we have one now. We actually have two now. We have a big one that we use for non minis uh, seasons and for our tailspire seasons, where we use the uh, the virtual tabletop. Uh, and then we have a smaller one that is one for minis. And both of those actually break into like four pieces each, so they're much more manageable. Ah, yeah. I, I would imagine also the success of the show and the, the budget increases over the years and everything have also uh, benefited that as well. Um, Definitely. Uh, so as kind of speaking on the future and everything as seasons kind of progress and you and your team upgrade your own skill set and versatility, obviously starstruck was a totally different animal uh, using tailspire and everything. Um, and even like the projections and the atmosphere created by the dome itself, like have really changed up and, and upgraded in the past few seasons in a great way. Um, are there some elements that you're either, and again, I'm not, you don't have to spoil anything, but are there things that you're either working on or kind of hope to introduce in that kind of just, um, it's not a, I'm thinking, trying to think of a better word for it, but almost like vibe creation and, and immersiveness, um, that you hope to bring in or are working on bringing in for uh, future seasons. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're always trying to do something different, you know, uh, I think we just enjoy, uh, innovating and, and, um, trying to, to keep it fresh, keep it mixed up. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, the dome, uh, our set has, um, has always had these like, uh, LEDs, ribbon, light ribbon, like RGB, uh, LEDs that are, uh, behind like a frosted acrylic, um, material and so they have you know we have this ability to change the color and sort of do things with that and then um at some point we started doing like casting shadows back there using like um you know like silhouette kind of stuff and and splashing light onto the back of them to create these shadow puppet kind of things and then we just started using projections um and and now it's like it's a whole new area that um that we've grown you know that it's not something we have to do every season. It's one of our, one of our different tools that we can do, you know, um, but it's really fun as a designer because, you know, it's really the biggest canvas in the whole show is like that, that background, you know, and, um, so you can do a lot, uh, there. Um, and it takes a lot of effort to, um, kind of think it all out. And, um, you know, projections are also tricky that, it's a background kind of, you know, most of the time. So you don't really want it to be like too distracting. Um, uh, there's a lot of interesting things that can happen if you do loops where you start to like, you know, the audience is like noticing something that is taking them out of the story, you know? So there's just a kind of, um, fine line of, of like what can go back there. Um, but then you can also do kind of visual gags like we've done on never after where we had like the, I don't know if you've seen that season yet or not, but there's not, not uh, all of it, not all of it. All right. So I'll try not to spoil, spoil no, too much here, but there's a, <laughs> there's a battle in a, a spider battle where they, where it's like there's spider webs uh, projected up on the walls. And then at a certain moment, Brennan, it's a button. And then like thousands of tiny spiders come crawling out from behind them all over the whole set, you know? So mm -hmm. like the, we could do these little like, um, jump, jump scare kind of moments, which are fun. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that we're going to keep doing for sure. It seems like a great environment to almost have started from figuring out the rules, like making the the rules per se to 
start from that place to then go season to season where it's like, okay, there, there are no rules there. What it, what is the thing there? There's no, like, I feel like a lot of uh, typical more TV and, and movies and things like that probably have a lot of like, this is the way you do stuff. This is how you get these things done. And it feels like dimension 20 would almost be like the perfect canvas for doing off the wall things and, and stuff that you wouldn't even think of, especially for an actual play. Um, and to have started from that mindset and kind of continued doing that, it's it's re- it's really shown through with the uh, innovativeness of of you know season to season. Thanks. Yeah, it's definitely a value, and it, it, I mean it makes things fun, you know, to keep trying to do new stuff. And that's you know that's also such an important aspect to, uh, I think, the TTRPG kind of realm and actual play realm in general is that at the end of the day, it boils down to people playing a game at a table and that kind of wonderment and, and, um, seeing things brought to life as much as the, the grueling work of, you know, making the sets and the minis and everything is, is work and, and, and requires, uh, a lot of talent from you and your team and everything. There's that special wonderment of seeing, almost theater, like the interactions, uh, uh, that the players and, and the DM have with what you created and kind of that wonderment that is facilitated into really the, what is boils down to is the game. Um, and that's just such an important element to just this genre of entertainment in general, um, uh, that you guys have always done really well. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree. It, it's funny. Most of my uh, crew for the last like year, uh, have more of a theatrical background. Um, uh, and, and we, the show, uh, has also been getting uh, more and more theatrical, you know, to the point where we, we have all these projection designs and we have things, um, you know, queued up, but now we're like, oh, maybe we need to get like a light board and, and a lighting, you know, a, a bigger board and like a, an operator, you know, like, it, it definitely feels like an area direction we're growing is, is, uh, to an even more, um, um, I guess theatrical kind of experience, you know, where, where we're triggering more effects and, and just keep trying to do more stuff, uh, you know, during the taping, you know, in a kind of a live way, like kind of trying to match the, the improv that's happening and the moments that are happening. Yeah. Well, I think that's all I got, Rick. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we oh, really a great pleasure. Uh, it's been an honor. Um, is there anything that you want to shout out or talk about on your way out of here? Um, no, I mean, people can find me on Twitter at, uh, Richard H Perry and also on Instagram, the same handle. And thanks for watching the show. Um, I promise these seasons that are coming up, uh, kind of at the end of the summer are going to blow people away. I, I'm sure I, it took, it was a 30 second clip of just Matt Mercer's silhouette that made the internet just go mad. So I'm sure I'm, I'm very, just very wait. excited. I'm very excited. Uh, well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks thank you. so much for listening and we'll see you next time on friends and fables. Goodbye. Goodbye.